He was constantly telling stories about great warriors of the past, like Attila the Hun, people who had slain empires. It's one thing to be interested in the triumphs of military history. It's another thing to obsess over them. Victory at all costs is a dangerous way to look at the world. These were the words of Tom Mount, the former head of Universal Pictures, as quoted in the book, Devil's Barkin, by Joshua Green. The man Mount is describing is his former associate, Steve Bannon. I am Paxson Phillips, and this is Politics with Paxson. You may recall that Bannon has been a prominent political strategist ever since he played a significant role in Donald Trump's successful 2016 presidential run. After Trump became president, Bannon became his chief strategist. His tenure in the White House was marked by conflict with Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who was also given a role in the White House. It has been speculated that Trump became annoyed by Bannon's impressive profile. Trump was also likely annoyed by the conflicts that Bannon had with Kushner. Bannon was eventually fired by Trump in 2017. In early 2018, Trump personally attacked Bannon, dubbing him Sloppy Steve, for comments he allegedly made that were critical of Trump's son, Donald Trump Jr. Many Trump advisors have been ousted from the Trump orbit, but the end of Trump's association with Bannon marked what has been arguably the harshest string of attacks that Trump has made to a former advisor despite how unlikely it seems that Bannon will return to the White House, his legacy and the effect that he has had on Trump seems to sit right in the Oval Office. On February 23rd, 2017, Bannon, who's still Trump's chief strategist at the time, and Reince Priebus, the chief of staff who retains his job until later that year, spoke at the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC. Priebus and Bannon complimented each other, Priebus calling Bannon, quote-unquote, incredibly loyal. For me, however, one of the most interesting aspects of this event was when Bannon called for the, quote-unquote, destruction of the administrative state. Taking out of context, this phrase can mean several things. However, if you listen to what Bannon said before and after using this phrase, you understand that Bannon was referring to his plan to deregulate many of the agencies in our government, making it smaller. Trump is different than his predecessors. Trump has not only deregulated several agencies, but he seems to have installed people into several of our most prominent agencies of our government that are doing the opposite of what they have been hired to do. Was this what Bannon wanted? If so, he has been very successful. According to the Daily Beast, Bannon once compared himself to Lenin, saying, quote-unquote, Lenin wanted to destroy the state. That's my goal, too. I want to bring everything crashing down, destroy all of today's establishment. If you look 
and who Trump has chosen to lead and work in prominent agencies in our government, it does seem as if everything is crashing down. However, today's establishment is not simply being slowly eroded by Trump's deregulation plans. Many of the government agencies and those that were chosen to lead them are now working against what these agencies were originally designed to do. One example of an official that is carrying this out is represented in the Administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA, Scott Pruitt. Trump once announced that he was going to destroy the EPA in, quote-unquote, almost every form. This fits Bannon's destruction of the administrative state ideology. Pruitt, however, seems to be executing a role worse than just dismantling his agency. He seems to be using it to work against it. The National Marine Fishery Service, or the NMFS, concluded that a pesticide called chlorpyrifos and others are dangerous to both humans and marine life. Pesticides, according to studies, can damage the swimming ability, growth, and reproduction abilities of salmon. The Obama administration started an effort to ban the use of chlorpyrifos being sprayed on vegetables and fruit. Scott Pruitt, however, in early 2017, reversed this effort. This is a shocking decision by Pruitt. Pruitt, as the EPA administrator, has an obligation to protect the environment. This decision by Pruitt regarding chlorpyrifos does the opposite of that. This decision, made by Pruitt, does not only ignore the dangers to the environment, it works for them. Why would Pruitt do this? The company, Dow Chemical, has been selling chlorpyrifos products since the 1960s. Dow, among other companies, has informed several figures in the White House that the studies of the threats to the environment by chlorpyrifos and other pesticides were flawed. Dow gave Trump $1 million to help underwrite his inauguration. Think about this for a moment. If Pruitt made that decision relating to chlorpyrifos to support large companies like Dow, he is not working for the environment, but for the companies that have little regard for the threats to the environment. Amongst all the attention on Pruitt recently, regarding his scandals, including staying at a house belonging to a lobbyist and lying about the number of death threats he has received in order to fly in luxurious planes and receive a large security detail, this scandal may be one of the most damaging to the environment. In this scandal, Pruitt works against the mission of the department that he was picked to lead. Pruitt has even announced that the EPA will not examine the impacts and health risks of the extremely dangerous asbestos. Is this what the destruction of the administrative state looks like? Pruitt is not the only White House official using his power to work against the department or agency which he is leading. Mick 
Mulvaney, the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, and the Office of Management and Budget, the OMB, is also guilty of this offense. Mulvaney would be an odd choice for a normal president to choose to lead the CFPB, for he once called the CFPB a, quote-unquote, sick, sad joke. In 2015, Mulvaney supported a bill that would have killed the CFPB. In short, Mulvaney was a staunch opponent of the CFPB. And then, under Trump, he became its director. In actuality, the CFPB is popular amongst voters and has benefited this country greatly. CFPB has exposed many ripoffs and scams and has protected the interests of many different people. Mulvaney, however, has advocated for the demise of the CFPB. He has not simply deconstructed the CFPB since becoming its head. He has used the power that he has to work against all of the beneficial acts that the CFPB has done, similar to what Pruitt is doing with the EPA. Mulvaney has practically dismantled the Office of Fair Lending and Equal Opportunity, the OFLEO. The elimination of the OFLEO allows for more racial discrimination in relation to lending. Mulvaney also made no enforcement actions for at least 135 days after taking office, if not more. He has likely been so reluctant to enforce the consequences of unfair treatment by businesses and corporations in relation to the field that he is in, so that he can protect these businesses and corporations. This is the opposite of what Mulvaney's job is supposed to be used for. Mulvaney is supposed to be protecting the customers of businesses, not the businesses themselves. Mulvaney does not seem to care if the customers are protected. He seems to be obsessed with making sure that large businesses are protected. The head of the CFPB, before Mulvaney, was very active in enforcing CFPB practices to protect customers. This contrasts greatly with what Mulvaney has done. This is a clear abuse of power by a man who seems to hate the very agencies that he controls. However, once put in control of these agencies, this man has not simply eliminated these agencies. He has used the power that he has to work against them and to work against what they stand for and what they do. Is this what the destruction of the administrative state looks like? Mulvaney and Pruitt are only two of the numerous members of the Trump administration that are actually trying to sabotage their own agency. Another one of these government workers is Rick Perry, the Secretary of Energy. Like Mulvaney and Pruitt, Perry holds an important job in the Trump administration. Before Perry landed a job in Washington, he was the governor of Texas and a Dancing with the Stars contestant that ran for president in 2012. There is one notable moment from Perry's presidential run that would later be reflected upon by those looking at Perry's appointment to the office of the head of the Department of Energy. When he was running for president, Perry said on the debate stage, quote unquote, and I will tell you, 
It's three agencies of government. When I get there, they're gone. Commerce, education, and the, uh, um, what's the third one there? This was not a joke. Perry literally forgot the name of the third agency that he was planning to get rid of upon becoming president. For almost a whole minute, Perry, on the debate stage, struggled to remember the third agency. The agency he wanted to say, but could not remember, was the Department of Energy. When Perry was picked to become the Secretary of Energy, he believed, quote-unquote, he was taking on a role as the global ambassador for American oil and gas industry that he had long championed in his home state, according to the reporting of the New York Times. Despite his clear lack of understanding of the Department of Energy, Perry has not been as adamantly opposed to his own department as Mulvaney and Pruitt are. In the spring of 2017, Perry announced $105 million in funding to advance the progress of solar energy. However, Perry is significant in relation to the destruction of the administrative state because he has also advocated for what the Energy Department is supposed to oppose. The Department of Energy is supposed to find and execute the best ways to conserve energy. Previous presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama both found clean energy as one of the best ways to move forward in relation to energy. Coal is not an unlimited resource, and it is also not the most healthy energy source either. For Perry, decarbonization was the goal of the Energy Department. Perry, however, seems to be more interested in reviving the coal industry than his predecessors. Perry has claimed that he does not want to abandon fossil fuels. Instead, he claims that fossil fuels need to be made cleaner. He also suggested the removal of the phrase climate change from a report released by the Department of Energy. Fossil fuels are a contributor to climate change. In that same report, several coal-friendly policy recommendations seem to have been added by Perry himself or one of his close associates. Perry's opposition to his own department is not as blatantly obvious as Mulvaney and Pruitt's opposition, but his opposition is still very important. Perry has long been associating himself with at least one coal baron, Bob Murray. Perhaps this is why he has been interested in reviving the coal industry. A picture of a document handed to Perry by Murray is one of the most telling photographs that relates to Perry and the Department of Energy. The document photographed shows that Murray was giving Perry several deregulation acts that he would like to be put into effect by the Department of Energy. Was Perry valuing the coal lobbyists over the conservation of energy and the health of the American people? Is this what the destruction of the administrative state looks like? Perhaps one of the most devastating consequences occurring from those agency leaders who are doing the opposite of what their agency requires them to do is what Betsy DeVos is doing as the head of the 
Department of Education. As the head of the Education Department, DeVos has an obligation to protect and preserve equal education for all students in the United States. By dismissing civil rights complaints, DeVos is not giving all the students of this country equal educational opportunities. It is odd that DeVos even became the Secretary of Education because she does not believe in public education. She's referred to public schools as a quote-unquote dead end and wants to reduce government funding to public schools and instead give funding to charter schools. Charter schools can deny anyone they want, and the problem is that, historically, charter schools have often been associated with increasing segregation and inequalities in school. If DeVos were to take away funding from public schools and give it to charter schools, many experts predict that the students left in public schools would disproportionately be minority students, disabled students, and poor students, because many of these students would be either turned away by charter schools, could not get the services they they need at charter schools, or would not be able to afford to go to charter schools. This would make the schools in the United States much more segregated. If the public schools, which would likely be disproportionately filled with disenfranchised students, did not get their funding, their schooling would likely be weaker than those of the charter schools. This would cause many minority students, disabled students, and poor students to have less of an educational opportunity overall than that of the students enrolled in charter schools. If this is what DeVos wants and is working towards, this is the opposite of what she is supposed to be doing, giving free and equal education to all. It does seem as if DeVos may have some discriminatory views, for under her leadership, the Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights has dismissed hundreds of civil rights cases. In her first visit to a school, DeVos did not address the fact that this particular school requires students with disabilities to waive their rights under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. DeVos also refused to deny in her confirmation hearing that she would not federally fund private schools that discriminate as Secretary of Education. DeVos explicitly shows her discriminatory views when she praised schools that announced, quote-unquote, we're not for everybody and we don't expect everybody to want to come here. DeVos added on to her praise by also stating, quote-unquote, I think schools should have that attitude. This is the opposite of what DeVos swore to do for the American people. DeVos swore to give all students equal access and opportunity in relation to their ed educational endeavors. She is not doing that. Is this what the destruction of the administrative state looks like? Not all of the officials that have done the opposite of what their agency stands for are well known. Thomas Bosser was a Homeland Security Advisor for Trump until recently. On April 10th, Bosser resigned his position. Still, 
Bossert managed to keep his job far longer than many other officials working in the Trump White House. Many have speculated that Bossert left because John Bolton was picked as the new National Security Advisor. When covering Bossert's resignation, CNN reported that a source familiar with Bossert's departure claimed that Bossert, who has been called a popular figure amongst Republicans, wanted the role of National Security Advisor and left shortly after Bolton arrived at the White House. Bolton appears to have wanted Bossert out of a job at the White House. Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders commented on Bossert's resignation, saying, quote-unquote, Tom led the White House's efforts to protect the homeland from terrorist threats, strengthen our cyber defenses, and respond to an unprecedented series of natural disasters. President Trump thanks him for his patriotic service and wishes him well. Sanders is correct. Mostly. Bossert was one of the key figures in the rebuilding efforts after a hurricane struck the United States and Puerto Rico last year. He was doing a patriotic service in this sense. However, Bossert has said that he has, quote, confidence that no voter in this country was influenced, end quote, by Russian ads that ran on Facebook and Twitter and were designed to persuade public opinion towards Trump so that he could win the 2016 presidential election. Former CIA officials have said that the Russian interference, which includes these ads, in the 2016 election was very successful. For to have been successful, votes would have needed to be influenced. It is possible that Bossert did not know this. It is possible that Bossert has poor judgment. However, it is also possible that Bossert purposely ignored the former intelligence community and may have decided not to focus on Russian interference. A former DIA director, James Clapper, comes clean that he believes that Russia actually tipped the election to Trump when he says, quote unquote, it exceeds logic and credulity that they didn't affect the election, and it's my belief that they actually turned it. Bossert's refusal to acknowledge the homeland security risk of Russian interference in our elections possibly put our nation at risk of another Russian intelligence attack. However, it is possible that Bossert had good intentions and would have actually addressed this risk moving forward. This is why Bossert is one of the weaker indications of the destruction of the administrative state. If he had stayed in his position, Bossert could have fulfilled Sanders' description of him as a patriot. It is hard to ever know, for he no longer has a job in the White House, and it is unknown what he would have done in relation to this homeland security threat if he still had his job. Still, one must wonder if this is what the destruction of the administrative state looks like. According to sources familiar with the matter, a member of Pruitt's press team has been searching to find damaging material on the Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke, in order to divert attention away from Pruitt's numerous scandals. Apparently, Zinke and Pruitt are rivals. Recently, 
former EPA Deputy Chief of Staff Kevin Chmielewski leaked information on, in order to attack Pruitt and support Zinke, according to Michael About, the member of Pruitt's press team that has been searching for dirt on Zinke. But Zinke himself may be worth looking into, for Zinke appears to be deconstructing the administrative state as well. Being the Secretary of the Interior, Zinke is supposed to be conserving federal land and the wildlife. However, some of what Zinke has done completely undermines this goal. One of Zinke's proposals to the White House involves shrinking several national monuments, including Bears Ears and Grand Staircase, in order to make more room for mining and drilling expeditions. This has been the largest reduction of protected lands in American history. Zinke formed a committee to advise him on the conservation of wildlife, but the committee is made up of anti-wildlife lobbyists. Zinke has rolled back many protections for different animals. For example, Zinke supports downgrading the status of Cape Mountain Zebra so that it will not get the endangered species protections. Zinke has also worked to reverse rules to prevent, that prevented hunters from baiting brown bears with certain food and using spotlights to kill black bear mothers and cubs that are hibernating. There is a long list of more actions Zinke has taken that seem to go against the mission of the Department of the Interior. Zinke has reversed a bill that prevented companies from polluting the air with methane. Zinke has weakened protections for many different species, including the sage grouse. Zinke has encouraged ocean drilling of the Pacific, Atlantic, and Arctic Oceans. Zinke has encouraged mining next to one of America's most visited wilderness sites. And Zinke forced a road to be made through the wilderness of Alaska. Zinke has also reassigned many Native Americans that work in the Interior Department. He did this, reportedly, as a part of an effort to remove all internal opposition to his plot to allow more public and travel lands to be used for the fossil fuel industry. Zinke, as Interior Secretary, is supposed to prioritize hiring Native Americans, but Zinke has been quoted saying, quote unquote, I don't care about diversity. Despite all these outrageous acts, Zinke has followed the goal of his agency on some occasions. Zinke has considered building monuments to honor historically relevant African Americans. He has also worked to make some public lands more accessible to disabled veterans. But, overwhelmingly, Zinke seems to be working against the mission of the agency he was appointed to lead. Joel Clement, a Department of the Interior whistleblower, has said that Zinke's quote-unquote priorities lie with President Trump and special interests, not the American people he should be working for. From what Zinke has done to undermine the mission of his agency, it does seem as if he is working for special interests, not his department's goal. Is this what the destruction of the administrative state looks like? beginning of this podcast, I mentioned how, in the book Devil's Bargain by Joshua Green, Tom Mount implied that Steve Bannon has a quote-unquote victory-at-all-costs attitude. 
Bannon's dream of deregulation in many U.S. government agencies has been realized. However, Bannon and the Trump administration did not simply stop at deregulation. The Trump administration decided to appoint people who were actively working against their agency's goals. In many ways, Bannon has achieved victory, but this victory came at a price. Bannon has been seemingly ousted from Republican politics. Despite this, Bannon did achieve victory. I'm reminded of the story of Attila the Hun, who, according to Tom Mount, Bannon was obsessed with. Attila's two main goals in relation to the Roman Empire seem to have been to marry the sister of the Roman Emperor, Valentinian III, and to control half of the Western Roman Empire. In order for Attila to succeed in controlling half of the Western Roman Empire, the empire would have needed to fall or surrender to Attila. Attila and his forces did a great deal of damage to the Western Roman Empire, and not long after Attila's death in 453, the Western Roman Empire crumbled. Although the fall of the Western Roman Empire cannot be solely attributed to Attila, one of his goals was accomplished when at least half of the Western Roman Empire fell. However, accomplishing this goal came at a price. While Attila led the Huns through his conquest of the Western Roman Empire, they were hit with famine and disease, and the leader of the Huns himself, Attila, died shortly after. Like Attila did to the Western Roman Empire, Bannon is actually causing a great deal of damage to a different empire, the Empire of the United States. And like Attila, Bannon's ambitions have come at a great price. However, Bannon seems to understand this and is willing to bet his entire career on an idea. The idea of the destruction of the administrative state. But the destruction of the administrative state is a dangerous idea to experiment with because to experiment with this idea is to experiment with the well-being of the citizens of the United States. However, the Trump administration does not seem to be giving up on Bannon's idea. Most recently, Trump's new pick to lead the State Department's Bureau of Population, Refugees, and Migration, an agency that oversees immigration issues, Ronald Mortensen, is a man opposed to both legal and illegal immigration. In Bannon's absence, one must wonder who is the person that is keeping this idea alive in the White House. A possible candidate could be Steve Miller, or perhaps even the President himself. One thing is clear. Bannon may have gone from the White House, but his idea of the destruction of the administrative state lives on. The result is a government that is working for their own special interests and not the interests of their constituents. This is what the destruction of the administrative state looks like. I am Paxton Phillips, and this is Politics with Paxton.
After recording this podcast, I learned on July 5th of this year that Scott Pruitt has resigned. This resignation comes after months of speculation over why Pruitt had not been fired by Trump. The fact that Trump did not fire Pruitt and allowed him to keep his job for such a long period of time shows how committed the Trump administration has been to the idea of the destruction of the administrative state. Pruitt seems to have been one of the strongest examples of the destruction of the administrative state in the Trump administration. Trump's commitment to Pruitt retaining his job shows how supportive, how adamantly supportive, Trump seems to be to the destruction of the administrative state ideology. Thank you for listening to Politics with Paxton. Please follow me on Twitter at PoliticsWPaxton and look for me on Instagram where you will find all the latest news, updates, and episodes of Politics with Paxton. All ideas expressed in this podcast are my own, derived from my analysis and opinion of current events and news and historical references.